Today, I'm very excited to have Josh Kopel on the show. Josh is a Michelin rated restaurateur and the host of two podcasts, Full Comp, the voice of the restaurant industry, and Restaurant Marketing School. In this episode, we'll be exploring Josh's playbook to unlock an additional 5K per week, how to stop tolerating thin margins in your business, and finally, the recipe to restaurant success that Josh has uncovered, not only from his own experience, but also from studying the very best in the industry. Let's hit it. Welcome to Guest Getter, the best place for restaurateurs to learn the art and science of getting more new guests, getting guests coming back more often, and getting guests spending more per visit so that you can be more profitable and do more of what you love. My name's Kyle Guilfoyle. Let's hit it. Josh, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing. I'm doing well. I'm. I'm very excited for this. Uh, this interview, uh, Josh. So, man, from restaurateur to tech pioneer, environmental advocate, thought leader in the hospitality industry, you are a busy man. You wear many hats. But how would you describe your particular area of expertise or your zone of genius, if you will? I'm just here to help. I mean, that that's really you know it's. I, I think we're all called to do different things in life. And for me, I felt called to service. I like it. It just, it feels good to help. And and whether I'm serving my local community as a restaurateur, whether I'm, I'm serving, uh, you know, the, the stakeholders and, and the people I'm in through my environmental advocacy, um, or whether I'm helping my industry through, you know, asking the questions that I think we're all thinking. And trying to get the answers from the brightest people in the room. I'm I'm just trying to help. I love that. I love that. And before before we get on to your uh, your you know background a little bit, I'm curious. Is there one thing about about that that mindset, that spirit that you you wish you had learned years ago? Yeah, and and and, and I would argue that that what I what I learned too late in my career was that asking for help is 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 as important as offering it. Um, and that's, that's really where, where I went wrong in my career was I, I fell into the same trap that I think a lot of people did, which is, you know, what ended up ultimately becoming full comp was in my own career, I didn't seek out mentorship. And when I did, what I found was that all of the people that I looked up to, they were more than happy to share that information with me. They were, they were, they were stoked to, to provide, I think, the information and the infrastructure to someone that was coming up in the industry. And I didn't think that would be the case. I saw them as my competitors, mm. you know, and I, and I didn't see that there was enough room out there for everyone to thrive. Uh, and, you know, I'll never forget the first guy I reached out to and how indulgent he was with me. He sat with me for over an hour. So I asked a bunch of questions that he probably figured out the answers to two decades before. And, uh, and, you know, things kind of grew from there, but it was a real aha moment for me. They're like, you should ask for it. You, you should ask questions and you should ask for help and you should develop mentors and, and, and become a mentee yourself. I love that. And it's, I mean, I think it's one of the most magical aspects of the time we live in is our access to, you know, things like podcasts and just having access to, to people like yourself. And, you know, you, you can learn from just about anybody and, and, and you, you don't have to, to go through the same, same trials and mistakes 
that they went through. So um, yeah, no, I, I love that. And in 2010, you opened your first concept. It was a New Orleans inspired bar. And from there you went on to open a Michelin rated concept and even a fried chicken joint. From my understanding, when the pandemic hit in 2020, you were like, fuck this. And by the way, <laughs> by the way, one, one of my, one of the things I appreciate the most about you is, is there are no holds barred, no sugar coating. If something sucks in this industry, you say so. But suffice to say, at that point in 2020, the opportunity you were, or sorry, the opportunity vehicle you were in with your restaurant uh, was not at all appealing to you. And so my, my question is, I'd, I'd love it if you could take us back to that moment and tell us a bit about what was going through your mind, what made you take the leap and how things have played out for you since. Sure. Um, so, you know, when March of 2020 hit, we had already sold the bar in Hollywood. We had sold the fast casual fried chicken joint fourth quarter of 2019. And then in 2020, the path seemed super clear, right? Like everyone was pivoting into hot dogs and burgers and shit like that. And I owned a Michelin rated fine dining restaurant that I loved, that I loved so much that I sold the other two concepts so that I could exclusively focus on scaling this thing up to, you know, six, seven, $10 million. I loved it that much. And, you know, the path forward was clear, right? Like scale down and do whatever it takes to survive. And after spending most of my career scared to death that I was going to lose this thing that I love so much, I sold it because I didn't want to do that. And it was this real aha moment. And I think it was for a lot of us, you know, that, that I was willing to do anything to keep it open until the day it closed. And the day it closed, I was like, no, there, there are only certain things I'm willing to do. And I'm willing to work within this industry, in this capacity, in only this way. And I was unwilling to compromise. I wasn't going to sell like burgers out of the back door and hope for the best. I didn't want to go back to the table and, and depend on these third-party delivery companies to survive. What, what I wanted was I wanted to work on my own terms in my own way. And I didn't want to be a slave to this thing that I owned that ended up owning me because of the pandemic. So I quit. And, and, it was the hardest and easiest thing I've ever done in my life. And then, you know, with, with a one and a half year old daughter at the time and a wife at home in the middle of a global pandemic, I had to figure out, you know, what was next and, and what made sense to me uh, was to help and, and to start the conversation that I had started a couple of years prior and reach out to, every, I mean, at that point we were all unemployed. Everything was forced to shut down. So I was like, well, you know, if I was able to reach out to these amazing restaurateurs in Los Angeles, maybe I could reach out to amazing restaurateurs all over the country. And maybe we could have bigger conversations and maybe I can record these conversations and push it out to the masses. And that was, that was what created full comp. And it's, it's been a uh, snowball effect ever since. I love that so much. And something else I heard you say recently that really struck me was that you've noticed two universal truths in this industry. Uh, one is that it's almost impossible to succeed. And the other is that if you are successful, it's one of the best ways to build generational wealth. Uh, could you tell us a bit more about why those two, why that dichotomy exists or why you believe that to be true? Absolutely. So I, I think that the first is true. I think that it's almost impossible to succeed in this industry uh, because of the competition and not because the competition is so much better than you, but because the competition by and large is stupid. 
This is one of the only industries in the world with like no barrier to entry. You don't, you don't see individuals getting a ton of inheritance money from like a dead aunt and saying, I want to start a law firm, right? But everyone wants to start a restaurant. It's everyone's opportunity to own a bar. And while, while I can appreciate that because there is universal interest in food and beverage because we all consume it, it's not for everyone. And just because you have the financing or you convince someone to give you that money, does it mean that you're capable of doing what I have spent a lifetime mastering? And, and, and because of that low barrier to entry, you end up with competitors selling mediocre shit at a loss. And, and, and it, it drives competition in a way that's unhealthy for the industry. Then it's not about who can do the, the best products in the most innovative ways. It's about who can sell the cheapest shit for the longest period of time before they burn the place to the ground. And, and that's what makes it impossible. It's not that it's hard to create amazing food. It's that the guy next door is selling his mediocre food for a dollar all day, every day. And so it, it's, it went from being a race to the top to a race to the bottom. And, and I think that's what makes it so hard to succeed is the playing field is chalked full of people that are both excellent and terrible at the job. Well, this, this question I have here is a bit of an extension to this, I think. And that is something else you, um, you, you told me about uh, in passing was that you, you've noticed most, most aren't making money. E even those who seem successful, maybe they have several locations, even those folks aren't making much money. And so uh, my, my question is, why, why do you think it is that so many are willing to tolerate making no money or, or losing money or the razor thin margins that you know, we seem to be defined by in this industry? Fear. It, it, it's the fear of, of two huge things. The first is fear of going out of business, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the, the conversation is never about how do we thrive? It's how do we survive? You even heard it through the pandemic. And, and you know, no one's taking lemons and trying to make lemonade. Everybody's just juggling the lemons. <laughs> and and it, doesn't, it doesn't work. You know, you have to say, I, I get that the industry average is a 6% net profit, but I don't want to live off that. I mean, that is a terrible net regardless of industry. Most people would look at that and say, there's no way I would enter that industry. Uh -huh. and, and the reason that the razor-thin razor margins exist and that the competition is so steep and, and that the failure rate is so high is because of the other fear that we have, which motivates our behavior, which is the, the, the fear of having a difficult conversation. The truth is, and I was just having this conversation with some, uh, some friends the other day, is if, if you don't like QR codes and you want paper menus and you don't want to order on a tablet, and you want somebody that, that'll walk you through the menu and you want that personalized experience, I think that's fine. More power to you. I think every restaurant should be that way. And I think you should pay $30 for a burger. That's what I think. I, I, I think that the conversation we're avoiding having is you can have whatever you want, however you want, but you're going to fucking pay for it. And, and, and that is not a conversation we're willing to have with our team. And that is certainly not a conversation we're willing to have with our patrons. So what we do is we say, well, we'll just pay ourselves a little bit less or we'll go cheap on this. Or you know what? I'll take out an Amex loan for $50,000 and hope that things pick up over time. But until we fix the margins, all we're doing is fueling a broken machine. Everybody wants marketing to save them. And look, 
marketing will bring in a shit ton of business. I'm a huge advocate for marketing. I have a whole show dedicated to marketing. But if you're if you're not focused on fixing the machine, getting your margins to where they need to be so that you can net out at the end of the day, whether you choose to pocket that money or use it to improve your your business, um, we're never going to get anywhere. Totally. And well, this is what I, I love about, you know, what I what I see you doing right now. Uh, I understand you're, you know, you're, you're working on some some case studies with folks to, to help them unlock more uh, more revenue, things like an, an, addition, an additional 5K per week and and that sort of thing. And so, you know, at this point, it's been about 18 months, I believe you've you've studied and you've learned from so many other successful restaurateurs and marketers. You've developed a recipe or a playbook of sorts of restaurant success, and it's it's made up of three parts: awareness, revenue, and frequency. And and I'm I want to I want to dive into this, and I'm totally open to uh, dancing to your tune a bit on this, uh, given that it's it's your framework. But what I what I thought would be really cool is if is if we could or if we could get you to share, you know, one one action step from each of those three categories that, uh, you know, a restaurateur could take today to improve their condition? What, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I would love to. I, I'll unpack them really briefly, and, and then I'll okay. give you a, a super actionable step from each. Um, and just to provide context, I, I took Pro and Proper from $1.6 to $3.4 million in 18 months. And I did it by doing a thousand things. And, and then I was able to look back on those thousand things and say, well, you know, they all didn't really move the needle. I would argue that 99% of them didn't move the needle. There were only three real key areas of focus that, that helped me scale that restaurant in such a short period of time. I was then able to use platforms like Full Comp and Restaurant Marketing School to hone in and improve those, those techniques over time. Uh, and the best people in the world, the people that are growing, 10, 20, $30 million restaurant empires, they're only focused on three things, revenue, their ability to get attention and, and customer frequency. How do you get people back in the door? And so for each one of those, they, there are three essential components. When it comes to revenue, it's about your margin, right? Making sure that you're already making money at your current volume. One, one of the big fallacies that there is, is that you know once I make enough money, I'll make enough money. And it doesn't it doesn't work that way, um, you know. The, the big recommendation there is that you know you've got to fix the margin and you've got to fix it through pricing. And you can fix the pricing and then add value to compensate. But everybody's trying to save their way to profitability, right? I'm going to cut a little bit here. I'm going to cut a little bit there. Um, and I'm all for responsible spending. But at the end of the day, you're trying to get blood from a rock. So if if your pricing isn't in the right place, you won't be in the right place. The, the second part of that is increasing income. Uh, I would argue that everyone's leaving money on the table. I wrote about this recently, but everybody wants to know, if you name this podcast, how to make an extra $5,000 on a Monday, everybody would listen. It would be your highest rated podcast. So that's the question everyone wants to know the answer to. But I would argue, do you have any money left on the table on Fridays and Saturdays? And I think we all do. I think we all have dead hours here and there that we could capitalize on. So if we spend all of our attention focused on peak instead of off peak and really working to maximize those hours when people are already out, we'd be in a much better place. 
I'm in the business of trying to convince people to come to my restaurant. I'm not in the business of trying to convince people to put on pants. And when you try and get someone out on a Monday, that's exactly what you're trying to do. Totally. The last part of revenue, which I, I think is probably one of the most valuable and really comes out of the pandemic is a di the diversification of revenue. And uh, we all pat ourselves on the back and, oh, I have multiple revenue streams. I do takeout, I do delivery, and I do dine-in. And that's just not enough because when it rains, you're probably fucked on all three of those things. <laughs> At least you are in Los Angeles. So what else is there, you know? Are you selling merch? Are you doing gift cards? You know, it's, there are a thousand different things you can do. Are you selling events? Are you doing uh, virtual events and cooking classes and cocktail demos? What are you doing to bring in ancillary revenue? If what they say in the trades is true, and I truly believe it is, you know, people want an experience. So how many different ways can you chop up what you do for a living and turn it into an experience? Even if it's an at-home experience where you're providing your meal prep so that they can cook your food at home. That is that is kind of the nuts and the bolts of revenue. Um, Love it. And, and then, you know, the next big thing that people focus on is attention. The best in the world know how to get attention and they know how to use the platforms that are available to get that attention. Uh, social media, I think, is, is probably the most widely used and yet most misunderstood tool in the restaurant industry. Everybody puts up a photo of a piece of pie and they say, come to my restaurant and eat this pie. <laughs> Great. Cool. But that's not what social media was designed for. Right. Um, you don't see Kylie Jenner on her Instagram saying, buy my shit. It's not for that. Social media is for getting attention, creating awareness. That's not where you sell. It's where you inform. So we should be using social media through that lens and saying, well, you know, if it's not about selling, then I'll just talk about me and why I open the restaurant. And I'll talk about my team and I'll talk about my patrons and I'll show people how we do what we do. Because at the end of the day, if they're interested in that, then they'll go to the second piece of the puzzle, which is my Google page or my Yelp page or my website. And that's where we sell. Those are your sales tools. And by and large, most people are using their websites in the same way they should be using social media. There are no calls to action, right? They're showing food instead of showing someone eating. They're showing cocktails instead of someone drinking. This is where you sell the experience. If they have made it so far that they have gone to your website, they're ready to either book a reservation or get in their car and come to your fucking restaurant, right? So, so, we, so, so, so social media, the, the, the purpose there is really to, to, to get that intention or sorry, that attention to intrigue folks enough to then move them off of the platform to a place where you, you know, it's maybe your own property, whether it's your you know, your email list or your website. And then you say, Hey, like, like, let, you know, let's do this. We're, we've had a couple of dates on social media. Now I want you to, you know, come on in and, uh, and book a reservation or, or something like that. Do, do I have that right? You do. And is that how it's used today? Not really, but that's exactly how it should be used because mm -hmm. in a social media post, you're never going to convey the intention. Also, I mean, look at, look at the use cases. When you're on social media, you're not looking for a restaurant to dine in. But when you're on Yelp, you are. When you're on a restaurant's website, you are. So there's that immediacy. There's that intention. There's that sense of urgency. And we need to leverage it. If you take reservations or you have a waitlist system you use, 
That should be front and center. Mm -hmm. Use it to sell. Have calls to action. Get in your fucking car and come here now. I'll get you laid. <laughs> like this is the messaging <laughs> that's going to resonate because those are the questions people have, right? Like you're a dude. You like to go out on dates. When you're looking at restaurants, those are the questions you're asking. Will this place make me look good? And just looking at a plate of food or looking at it, it a, a fancy photo of a cocktail isn't going to get it done. You need to show people sitting in the restaurant and dining. That way they look at those images and they say, hey, that could be me. Yeah, show me that sex appeal. That's it. And then the last part of it is, and this is the part so few of us do and do well, is, uh, is amplifying through press. So, you know, you don't need a publicist to get press because I would argue that publicists aren't best in the world at getting press. They're best at the world at building relationships. That's it. Like the reason that they were able to get you that feature in Eater isn't because you're super cool and really talented because there are a ton of super cool and really talented people that go out of business every day and never get any press. They, they wrote you up because that publicist has a relationship with that writer and they leverage that relationship to get that article done. So how do you do the same? You stalk and you add value the same way you get customers. Uh, I would argue that most most of the big writers out there, whether it's Eater or, you know, where, where I am, LA Weekly, any one of your local publications, they have the opportunity to submit stories on their website. And typically they have the contact info for the individual writers. So you look at your competitors, you see who's writing them up and you reach out and you say, hey, my name is Josh. I know you're writing on shit all the time. Let me know what you're writing on. And if I can provide any content or value. Let me know, because I would love to be a contributor. I would love to help you make your job easier. And then you follow up and you say, hey, next week we're launching our Sunday brunch. Here are all of the details. Here's a link to the website. Here's a link to make reservations. And here's some really nice photos we took. Totally. And, and I think something that most people, or it doesn't occur to most people, is that most of these writers and contributors are, are absolutely starving for content. So if you, by, by reaching out to them, you're, you're essentially throwing them a lifeline. Uh, one other thing that I've, I've found to be useful is, um, is, is, do you know, Harrow help a reporter out? Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's a very good, you know, and, and I, I don't know if this is for the, the restaurant owner as much as it's for maybe somebody who's really, you know, managing their marketing or helping them with marketing to, to just be dialed into for, uh, for kind of low hanging fruit opportunities to, to get, to get published in different, uh, yeah. Look, at the end of the day, I think it's super overwhelming to turn to a restaurateur that's working 80 hours a week and say, you need to become a full-time publicist. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is I think it is way more approachable to say, look, every week you need to send out one email. You send out one email to one writer about one thing. And if you just do that every week, you'll reap the benefits from it. And, and that's that is that is my, my overall attention getting strategy at large. I I don't think marketing. Is something you do. I dedicated 10 hours to this and now I've done marketing, right? It's something you do every day and it's a five minute a day thing. Um, but I, I think that in using the tools as described, I, I think that you can achieve amazing results. For sure. I love it. And then, and then the last piece is probably the easiest to, uh, easiest to talk about and hardest to execute. And that's customer frequency. Um, we, we need to be collecting data. And in order to do that, and, and you know Matt Plapwell, he'll tell you, give away a free burrito. I'm a huge advocate of that. 
Um, but but I, I think that the point that he brings up is super valuable, which is if you're going to ask someone for their personal contact info and their birthday, that has value to you, short term and long term. You need to give something away of value. And if you want to take a page from Matt's playbook, give them a free burrito or a free dessert. For me, I like to make it experiential. I think that the pitch is, hey, you know, we do exclusive tastings here all the time. We have liquor, beer and wine distributors in once a week, once a month, whatever. And I'd love to invite you to it. If you give me your info, make sure you're invited to the next one. Hey, you know, every time we launch a new menu item, we do an exclusive tasting for about a dozen of our guests. If you want an invite to that, give me your info and I'll do it. And people are then excited to give you that information. And you set them up as to what to expect when it comes to like the type of communication you'll be sending them. And so it doesn't have to be free because what I just listed wouldn't cost you a penny. Um, you can offer experience that will not only drive traffic back to your restaurant, uh, but it'll also give you the information you need to be able to reach out. Um, now, that's great. And I'm sure a lot of people do it. I was really good at collecting data. We were always on it. And then I didn't do anything with it, which is tragic, but like you're busy, right? So, dude, I just spent all of this time collecting all this data. I don't have time to use it. It's a... Uh, it's just, it's it's a very common trait that the restaurateurs have. And so we've got to automate that communication. I think at the top of the year, we need to have a plan, understanding that you're going to reach out to every customer you have a dozen times, probably half through text and half through email. And we can we can plan out what we're going to say. And most of those things should be about them. Hey, what do you think about this? We have three ideas about this. What do you think? Take this poll. That, that's a great text message that you, you can send out where you're not asking for anything other than their opinion. It reminds them that you exist, which might actually get them back in. And at the end of the day, they think you give a shit what they think. And that, that creates affinity. Most people just need a reminder to come back in. Mm -hmm. That's all it yeah. takes, right? Yeah. And, and my belief is you know, like a lot of, I, I can't, you know, I know that a lot of restaurateurs who listen to this, they're like, that all sounds good, but it's like, fuck me. I don't like, I don't have time. Like I'm already running around like a chicken with my head cut off, let alone sitting at a computer and doing that stuff. And so what I would say to that person is, is a, yeah, some of this, if you just batch a session or two to like plan this stuff out and automate some of it, you can do that. But I, and I actually, I'd like you to check me on this. My other belief is that I, I feel quite strongly that a lot of, of establishments should, should just hire somebody to do, like I call it a guest getter hire a guest getter who does this stuff, who, who forges relationships with your guests who are coming in, who, who sends out emails to get them to come back, who maybe uh, generates relationships with concierges so that like the hotels know you and you're at the top of their mind and all that stuff. There's, there is a lot to do. And I definitely think that there's enough to do to warrant a, um, some kind of position. What do you think? I agree. But I also think that most restaurateurs are going to work their way towards that. I think you, mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with having the restaurateur build the machine and then hiring someone to use it once they've been able to reap the benefits from mm -hmm. it. Most of us aren't right. Like most of us aren't going to spend that money. Most of us are going to say, fuck it. I'm going to do it myself. <laughs> um, and, and I would encourage those that are in that position to do that. If the alternative is not doing anything mm -hmm. and, and it, it is becoming so clear who the winners and the losers are coming out of the pandemic. And it all comes down to one thing, marketing. Either people know about you or they don't. Either you own your customer or you don't. 
Um, and the people that are leveraging the tools that we're talking about are thriving. And we're thriving, honestly, in the middle of the pandemic. Because, you know, the, the big aha moment, I think, for so many people was that, you know, their guests were totally willing to support them during the pandemic, but they didn't know who their guests were. And they hadn't built a cadence of, of communication, so they didn't know how to get in touch with their guests. And so are we going to learn from that? Are we going to go back to the way we were doing business prior to? And, and I would argue that, you know, marketing is optional and so is profitability. So you can, you, you can run your business however you want, but I think it's incredibly important to know that there are competitors out there that will eat your lunch if you're not doing these things. For sure. And okay, so, so we, we, have, we have an overview. We have a high-level view of awareness, revenue, frequency. Are you able to give us one, you know, one action step that you would recommend in each category, like folk, folks should take today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, for, from the revenue standpoint, sell gift cards. Mm-hmm. It, it's always an afterthought. So many of us don't do it. I literally didn't sell gift cards for years, and then when I started, I started selling about two hundred dollars a month in gift cards. Which some people are like, "Wow," and some people are like, "I don't give a shit." But I got that number up to two thousand dollars a month. Once I made it a priority and I can tell you this, when you look at the data that's coming out today, what people are saying is, is that gift card sales are going to be up by 80%. And most of that's going to be focused around food and beverage because the supply chain issues mean that there aren't as many gifts available for people to buy. So there's a massive opportunity there in terms of awareness, get better photography. I I think that everyone goes cheap and I would put up world-class photography on my website on my Yelp page and on my Google listing. If you can't be better than everyone else, you damn well better look better than everyone else. <laughs> and, uh, and and then the last one in terms of customer frequency, um, I, I would sign up for one of these uh, loyalty platforms mm-hmm. and, and maybe not the ones that are offering points and shit like that because that doesn't work for all tiers of dining, but sign up for one of these that just collects guest data. Come up with, with a monthly tasting with your liquor or beer reps mm-hmm. and then go to town and say, Hey, we're doing the tasting every week, every month, whatever you should sign up for it and then get their information and make sure you communicate with them regularly. It'll pay dividends. Awesome. And so, so Josh, I'd, I'd love to know what's, what's, what's on the horizon for you. What's next? What are you, what are you really excited about? So, I, I mean, what, everything that we've talked about today has fallen into this thing called uh, the three keys case study. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a profitability accelerator for restaurants. And it's, it's a nine-week course. And right now, what I'm working on are referrals and testimonials. I'm trying to prove that I'm right. And so anyone that wants to take part is more than welcome to do so. You just go to restaurantcasestudy.com and help me help you prove me right. <laughs> well said. Awesome. And uh, before, we, uh, before we move on, I hope you're up for a, a few rapid-fire questions that I have prepared. Um, but before we move on to that, is there, is there anything I, I should have asked you, but I did not? No, you covered it all pretty well, man. Okay, sweet. Are you, uh, are you down for some rapid fire cues? Yep. I got you. Okay, sweet. All right. What's your favorite cocktail? Jack and Coke. Nice. Damn. I was going <laughs> to ask what your favorite spirit is, but I take it your favorite spirit is Jack Daniels. Yeah. I was born and raised in Southern Louisiana. I drink Bud Light and Jack and Coke. Oh, boy. Okay. Okay. Uh, who, who's your dream guest to have on your podcast? Uh, it's a really good question. Danny Meyer. Ooh, likewise, likewise. Nice. Um, 
what book or resource has had the biggest impact on you? Traction by Gina Wickman. Oh, just finished listening to that one. Okay. Um, if, okay, if someone or something was to bestow a gift of say $50,000 on you to grow your business, how would you deploy those funds? I go to Vegas and I bet it all on black. <laughs> Perfect. I'm sure it'd be, I'm sure it'd work really well. And uh, I think, yeah, that's, that's all I have. So, so you uh, directed folks to restaurantcasestudy.com. Uh, is there anywhere else people can go to learn more about you and to connect with you or, or is that the spot? I, if they want to take part in the case study, they should totally check it out. You can also go to joshcobel.com and check out everything we've got going on there. Awesome, Josh. Well, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Dude, it was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Guest Getter. I'm your host, Kyle Gilfoyle. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. As always, you can head over to guestgetter.co to check out the resources in this episode's show notes and sign up for our weekly newsletter. That is it for today. We'll see you next time.